Hi, welcome to Romance Happy Hour. I'm Dylan Crush. And I'm Don Ludicky. We're bringing you your favorite romance authors. You'll get to hear them read from their books and answer your questions. Now let's get on with the show. All right, we are live. Welcome to Romance Happy Hour. I'm Dylan Crush, and I am not here with Don Ludicky tonight. Um, Dawn had a prior commitment that she couldn't make it. So I am here with our guest hostess, Karen Hoffman. So Karen, thank you. You, you look just like Dawn. <laughs> so similar. Yeah, we appreciate you being here tonight. And then we also have guests, Blair Babylon and Kathy Obacheski. Right? <laughs> okay. It's very tense about that. Very nervous about that. I knew I was going to watch it. So. We're glad that you're here tonight, and Karen, thanks for stepping in, and um, I'm going to go ahead and just turn it over to Blair, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and what you write, and what you have to share with us tonight, and then we'll have Kathy introduce herself, and then we're going to have you read first, so. Okay, my name's Blair Babylon, and I have been uh, writing for a couple years now. Um, I write contemporary romance, dirty billionaires for the most part. And my favorite kind of billionaire. And, and um, I'm going to be reading from my new book that comes out next week. I'm going to uh, first play an audio part of the audio book for you, and then I'm going to read for a little bit later. <laughs> on book. So be ready. Joe Arden's going to whisper dirty things in our ears, although not too dirty because we're on Facebook. Right. <laughs> All right. And how about you, Kathy? So I'm Kathy Obaszewski. I write uh, hockey romances. Um, I am releasing my second novel uh, on Saturday, and I'll be Ooh. reading a portion of that. Um, so it's called The 200 Foot Game. And it's, um, it's a, a fun bit. And fortunately, no audio for me, just what I'm going to read. <laughs> Sounds good. So should we get to it? I think we're all eager to hear the narrator. You know, we have had, um, we haven't had professional narrators on here before, but we have had some husbands who have had to step up and read. We did have one guest who had um, horrible laryngitis. And so her husband came on and read for her. And it's been something that people have requested ever since. So I'm excited that we're, yes. Yeah. So I'm excited we're gonna get a little taste of that. Okay, so I'm gonna click this now and we're gonna see if it plays. This is um, the first chapter of uh, One Night in Monaco by Blair Babylon and it's releasing next Tuesday. The audiobook is a full cast audiobook and uh, here is what the actual one looks like, what the actual cover looks like. And uh, it's narrated by Shane East, Joe Arden, John Lane, Lucy Rivers, uh, uh, Virginia Rose and Maxine Mitchell. And so here I, I'm going to play it over my computer here. We're hoping that it works. All right, we'll leave you to it. We'll be back after. Paris. Arthur. Once in the 40s and so tell George V in Paris in a small suite, because this trip had been a sudden decision due to work turns. A mobile phone buzzed on the dresser beside a sumptuous bed. Arthur Finchhatton thumbed the phone screen and brought it to his face, but he didn't say anything. 
His chin stubble grated on the glass front. A man's voice asked, Hello, Lord Finch Hatton. Maxence Grimaldi is missing. Arthur rolled over and stared at the ceiling. Beside him, his wife Jen stirred, but didn't wake up. He was always whispering into his phone in the middle of the night. She didn't bother to wake up anymore, especially now that she was carrying their child and needed sleep. Arthur said quietly, Max always goes missing. You tossers lost him twice a week in those rural outbacks he inhabits. The unidentified voice said, He went missing in Monaco. He was in the middle of the casino and then we lost him. It's been four hours. On my way. Arthur hung up and slid out from under the covers, grabbing his trousers from a suitcase as he stood. Worry sidled through him. They shouldn't have called him after only four hours, even if Max had gone missing in Monaco of all places. If he'd been anywhere else, they might not have called him if Max had been out of bounds for four weeks. But Monaco, and from inside the very Monte Carlo casino, and things had felt unsettled for weeks. None of Arthur's informants had divulged anything specific about Monaco or the region's jet-set power brokers. But a proverbial smell had hung in the air for some time. Arthur shook his head and stuffed one leg into his trousers. Jen peered up at him in the dim morning light. Her deep brown eyes squinted, her lashes dark against her porcelain skin. What's going on? Maxence seems to have been misplaced again, he told her. Arthur thumbed texts into his phone, telling his pilot and flight crew to have the jet warmed up and ready to fly to Nice. Oh. Jen snuggled farther under the thick comforter. Damn him. One night in Monaco and he's either on an epic pub crawl that will end up in the newspapers, in bed with someone else's wife, or already dead. Arthur prayed that Max wasn't dead and he grabbed his phone again. After he tapped a few more icons, a man's voice, husky with sleep, asked in his ear. What? Arthur wedged his phone between his ear and shoulder as he shoved his feet into his trousers. We have a problem, Gaz. Max went missing from Monaco. What continent are you on? Shuffling scudded from his phone. Casimir whispered to him. We're in Amsterdam. What the hell happened? From the other side of the bed, Jen flipped back the covers and reached for the floor with her long, shapely legs that Arthur loved to bind and tie and bite. You didn't say Max was in Monaco when he went missing. And she'd overheard him. Damn. You're not going, Arthur told her. Jen yawned and walked toward the bathroom, waddling just slightly due to her moderate pregnancy. Try and stop me, my lord. So that was John Lane, because John Lane plays Arthur. So um, now I'm going to continue to read from later in the book. And uh, this takes actually place inside the Monte Carlo Casino in Monaco four hours before Max, uh, Arthur got that phone call. Maxence Grimaldi, the man who would be on everyone's mind just a few hours hence, lingered in a quiet alco alcove in the infamous Monte Carlo Casino in Monaco swirling a triple whiskey in a crystal lowball glass and ruminating about how he shouldn't be there. He should have caught a plane out of Monaco by now, but his uncle lay dying in a hospital. Sitting with the comatose man had taken up much of Maxence's days for the last two weeks, except for that day. That day had begun with a hasty morning flight to Geneva, Switzerland, to visit his ex-girlfriend, who was now his sister-in-law. Yeah, there was a story about that. Max's afternoon had progressed when he'd returned to Monaco after lunch and punched his older brother Pierre in the mouth, 
and other bodily locations, followed directly by Max being restrained by the police and threatened with jail or murder. Not a good day. He'd had worse. Max, Max sense drank more of the whiskey. A smoky film clung to his tongue and his throat, and he rubbed his jaw where Pierre had landed one glancing uppercut before the guards had pulled them off of each other. He thought he'd cracked at least some of Pierre's ribs with a solid jab to his midsection, and Pierre should have a black eye, too. Served him right. Violence still swirled in Maxence's chest. The whiskey was telling him that finding his brother again and beating the heck out of him was a very good idea. He didn't know what to do other than assaulting his brother again. Assaulting his brother again seemed like an excellent option, a truly spectacular option, and it seemed more enticing with each additional sip of whiskey, except that Pierre had threatened Maxence that no one would find his body if Max didn't leave the building immediately. And ditto if Maxence even breathed the damn word to anyone about Flicka's whereabouts. In that case, Pierre had assured Max his death would be slow. When you've seen your brother make good on threats like that, without a moment of hesitation or remorse, you believe him. Maxence had to get word to somebody about Flicka, though. Pierre seemed to want Flicka right where she was. Flicka told Maxence to leave her there and not tell anyone. And she said she was safer there than uh, if people knew where she was and tried to get her out. She told him not to tell anyone and not to do anything to rescue her. He hated it. He ran, his dark he ran his hand through his hair, his dark curls twining around his fingers. With every minute that passed, Maxence worked harder to resist the inclination to dial the phone number for her reclusive brother, Wolfram von Hanover, and narc to him where she was. Except she'd forb specifically forbidden Max to call Wolf. Maxence was confused and angry as hell, and he tipped more whiskey into his mouth. The slow burn down his throat felt like courage gathering in his stomach. Pierre was only a few blocks away and ready to be punched. Maxence would, could walk there in 15 minutes. He hated this. A soccer match was playing on the widescreen television in one of the casino's small rooms called the Saltus et Sud. He couldn't quite hear the commentary over the chattering of the roulette wheels and the gamblers cheering from the white room behind him and the soccer fans laughing and chattering around the TVs. The Monte Carlo Casino was decorated for Christmas with garland draped from everything that would hold it and twinkling Christmas trees stationed in every corner and doorway. The rooms looked like a particularly festive forest had been magicked into the building. He should be thinking about other things to distract himself. The Monte Carlo Casino brimmed with beautiful women. Max loved women. He loved everything about them, from their finer skin to their soft curves, to the sweet scent of them, to the sparkly and beautiful clothes they wore. The doorway between the two rooms where Maxence was standing was half blocked by Christmas trees. He set the small table, the whiskey glass, on a small table behind himself uh, as a. Oops, I skipped a part. Uh, Maxence had just decided to inch closer to the televisions, which were airing the soccer match, when his old high school friend, Simone Mena, rushed across the opulent casino room and threw the crowd toward him. Her lithe figure was a harmonic vibration on a violin string blurred at the edges of her slim curves by the light sparkling on the glass beadwork of her white dress. As she neared him, the smooth skim between her eyebrows and under her eyes creased, indicating strain. Her arms reaching for him were slim dark lines in a room of round, solid bodies held tightly together to avoid contact. 
Maxence set his whiskey glass on a small table behind himself and drew a breath to ask her what was wrong. Simone's natural hair was a sleek halo around her thin face. She was reaching out to Maxence, her fingers nearing the lapels on his tuxedo, and she glanced behind herself in fear. Black eyeliner and eyeshadow in soft sage and glittering gold accent. She would almost look like an Egyptian hieroglyph of a queen. Rough abrasions and the darkening plum of bruises covered her slim throat. Maxence's heart fell as rage rose in his body. Her husband must have thought people wouldn't notice the damage to Simone's dark bronze skin. Esteb had always been a bully when they'd been at school together. He'd been excellent at creating incidents where he could de deny his guilt. About 20 feet behind her, two men in dark suits pushed through the crowd, their eyes intent on her form. Other men in dark suits, all with nearly shaved heads in the odd bulk of the paramilitary security profession, converged toward them from the other side of the crowd. Wait, wasn't that... Maxence could have sworn he recognized one of the men. Maybe all the private mercenaries and bodyguards were beginning to look alike to him. Many of his friends employed dozens of them. Maxence opened his hands as Simone rushed into his curtained alcove and whispered near his shoulder, help me. He whipped off the midnight blue jacket of his Tom Ford tuxedo, stepped around her to block what he was doing, and dropped it around her shoulders. The distinctive way her white dress popped against her umber and ebony skin would have drawn their pursuer's eyes. His coat changed her slim feminine silhouette and white dress into a blackish box, and his white shirt was now visible instead of the dark tux. In crowds, pursuers follow shapes and colors, not specific people. Changing what she looked like from behind would slow her pursuers, who were probably either her husband or his security men. Her picked out afro, though close to her head, was still a black distinctive shape in the crowd. Esteb's security men would orient on that. He looked for a way to camouflage her hair as he wrapped his arm around her shoulder and hustled her through the crowd gathered around the poker and roulette tables in the pale blue and faint gold white room. The crowd gathered around the televisions to watch the soccer match and slow, probably slowed Esteb's men down a little. The white room of the Monte Carlo Casino has a terrace, but no stairs on the ground floor. That room was a dead end. They went sideways along the walls toward another doorway. As they passed one particularly boisterous roulette table where the ball had just dropped onto the wheel and the gamblers erupted in cheers, a woman raised her arm. Her dark red scarf fluttered to the ground behind her. Maxence snatched the silk scra scrap out of the air and flipped it over Simone's head. She grabbed the ends and held them under her chin as they raced around the edge of the room. With that bit of disguise, they might have a chance of escape. Maxence guided her around the entrance to another connecting room. There he led her between the dangling, uh, jangling slot machines and another crowd clustered around back-to-back -back televisions playing that soccer match. They hurried toward the casino's main lobby and the exit to leave the casino. Not the front exit, she whispered, her voice frantic. He has people waiting for me there. She tucked the red silk around her face like a hijab, altering her profile still more. Perfect. Maxence reversed his direction and grabbed Simone's warm hand to pull her after him, heading for another way out of the casino. Okay, I'm done. All right. Thank you so much for sharing. That was... um. There was a lot of tension in that scene. They're running away. <laughs> well, it, a lot of my books have a lot of romantic suspense. There's, uh, for contemporary romance, there's an unusual number of dead bodies in my books. <laughs> <laughs> 
can't get enough of dead bodies, fictional no. dead bodies, right? No. And um, well, while I'm here, I uh, like I said, I'm releasing this book next Tuesday on August 18th, and I'm doing some giveaways in addition to the one which I'm doing here. And the one which I'm doing here, I will be giving away an e-copy of, come on, wake up. You're not going to, oh, there we go. <laughs> um, an e-copy of Billionaires in Disguise, which is the first book I wrote, which is that one. <laughs> so anyway, you copied that, but I'm also doing a very large giveaway and you can see on the sign behind me, there it is. There's the uh, URL to get there, to, uh, to get there. And I'm also doing a Goodreads giveaway. If you're watching this now, you can probably run and jump and get in the Goodreads giveaway, but I think it closes at midnight tonight. Okay. Yeah. So hop over to Goodreads as soon as we're done here. Um, I wanted to ask, you mentioned Monaco. Did you get to take any trips for research? I did. I went there last summer and nice. I walked through the Monte Carlo Casino and I went <laughs> all around Monaco, which considering it's like half a mile long and a third of a mile wide doesn't take that long. <laughs> and so uh, my, my husband, my kid and I went and we had a great time. It was amazingly beautiful. And I brought home several items, which I will be actually are part of the giveaway. I brought home some oh, little things that I actually yeah. in the palace. And I got a poker chip from the casino. And so those are actually part of the giveaway that I'm doing. Very cool. So what was your favorite part of being in Monaco? Oh, the beaches were amazing. The casino was like at suspiciously like a James Bond film. I mean, <laughs> and, and I mean, there were... They, you can okay in front of the Monte Carlo Casino. They've got places where you can rent like Maseratis and Ferraris and Lamborghinis and stuff. So there are all these tourists like wearing like shorts and like golf shirts and like getting into the um, Lamborghinis and then driving real fast for like 200 feet because the streets in Monaco are crowded and skinny and there's stop signs every 20 feet. You don't need to go very fast in the Lamborghinis, but you can rent them for an hour. All right. Um, I'd probably be too afraid to go anywhere. I'd probably just sit in it. Oh, I'd be so terrified. <laughs> I did not do it. Just because, I mean, seriously, the roads, I, I swear they had this much clearance on each side. Mm -hmm. I, I just looked at it going, I'm not that good a driver. That's just all there is to it. I just cannot drive that well. I'm not going to, to rent the $200,000 car and hurt it. <laughs> right. Definitely take the extended insurance they offer on something like that. Yeah. And it, we walked all over the place and it was, it was amazing and it was wonderful. And several of, I put some scenes there in previous uh, uh, books and one of my characters in the uh, little series that starts with every breath you take, um, the main character is a rock star and he's a relative of Max Sense's and his house is on this cliff that's above, that's in Monaco. And I found the house. <laughs> and because I mean, and so I've, I've got a picture of myself standing at the, like in this Canyon, like going like this, and you can see like Zan's house up there. And so I was, I was geeking out at my own characters. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So Karen, do we have any questions yet for Blair? Yeah, I'm ready. Um, Who's the most supportive person in your life when it comes to your writing? 
Oh, well, my, my husband um, makes sure that I get the time to write. So, of course, I, you know, he's, he's um, incredibly important. Um, I have several writing buddies like Julia Kent, who's just been marvelous. I, I, I went kind of off the deep end at the beginning of the year because I, my PhD is in microbiology and with the, the pandemic, I kind of went off the deep end. My husband works for Pfizer and I was going, I, I was sitting in on a bunch of meetings and like whispering microbiology in his ear mm -hmm. as they were looking at different drugs. And I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't have anything intermediate. And um, so I, in case anybody was wondering, pandemic's kind of scary. And I yeah. wasn't doing well for a while. And Julia Kent pulled me out of the deep black hole I fell into. So, and got me writing again. So, um, so all my readers, you can thank Julia for these books. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'd still be like freaking out and trying to analyze the coronavirus for whatever I was looking for. <laughs> well, and... I mean, when you put a book out into the world, you know, it's it's so public, but actually the production and everything is is such a solitary endeavor. So I know I, I'm there with I you. Have, um, I, if we're gonna mention, I, my, uh, the Joe Arden who helped, who produces all my audiobooks has been amazing with these books. And uh, I have an assistant, Angie, who is, I would, I would have completely failed without Angie because she's the one who's emailing me every day going, you need to get them the graphics. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she is marvelous. I've had so much help. I've had so much support and I'm so lucky. Well, that was Linda's question. Do another one? Um, I was going to ask Kathy the same question. Okay. Uh, so for me, when it comes to some of my writing, uh, one is actually a friend from when I was a figure skater, uh, Jen Drum. I know she's married now, but to me, she'll always be uh, Jen Drum. Uh, she loves reading every single thing I wrote and been so supportive that way. And then also just on the personal sense, my friends, Lisa and Mikey are, if it weren't for those two, and then also for my one friend, Jill, other from, Jill's, mo like, we're hockey buddies, beer buddies, but for the writing, we don't always talk about that. But Lisa and Mikey have been so supportive um, to keep me going. And then the sprint room uh, with Level Up, with um, AD, the uh, Ivy Woods, uh, and um, Ellie Pond, and so many others that just keep me writing on a pretty consistent daily basis just to get a little here, a little there, and just kind of keep keep the mojo going. That makes sense. Anything else, Karen? Okay, the next one, I'm not sure how to say her name, so I'll probably butcher it, but I'll try. Uh, Priyanka, maybe? Just oh, Priyanka here? Yeah. Blair, where are you getting inspiration for your stories? Um the inspiration for my stories um well of course we have to say my husband right um <laughs> so um and um beyond anything uh beyond him i'm just going to have to say internet research and i'm that's my story and i'm sticking to it uh, <laughs> um as far as the uh the other plots i just i i've been a reader all my life i've lived a thousand lives and I, I, 
the the old cliche is that a writer is a reader that's moved to emulate and I, I have loved literature and books and reading all my life and I I am so lucky to be a part of the literary world and to write my little books and to have wonderful wonderful readers whom I appreciate so much because they let me do this. Okay, ready for another one? I think so. Okay. Um, Linda asks again, what did you learn, if anything, when writing your latest book? When what? What did you well, learn, if anything, while writing your latest book? Did you learn anything new while you wrote your latest book? Oh, did I learn anything new while I was writing this? Um, I There are things which I learned which I can't talk about yet because I write four <laughs> books series. I feel like that's always such a loaded question. Like, yeah, there are things, but I can't reveal them yet. <laughs> if I say certain things, then they're like, um, so that's obviously going to happen then. Or uh, Let me see. Okay. Um, well, I had to go look again at the menu for the Buddha Bar in Paris. I've been to the Buddha Bar in Paris when I went and visited my dear friend Olivia Rigel, who is perhaps the most wonderful human being on the planet. She's, uh, if, if you've done any of the Becca Symes stuff, mm -hmm. she, uh, yeah, her, her, her number one strength is woo, winning the others over. Oh, wow. And I've never met anyone with major woo. Oh, and she is, she is just so wonderful. I mean, you cannot help but love her. She is just the nicest human being. And I've, I've threatened to cross stitch her a, a little plaque that says like Olivia's home for wayward writers because I, she like takes her friends into her apartment in Paris and lets them, uh, you know, run around Paris. And she, she is just the most fun person you've ever met. And if you've ever met her, you're like, yeah, I can see where she's number one. Woo. <laughs> for those of you not familiar with um, Becca Syme, she basically, you go through and figure out your strengths. And so when you say number one woo, you know, it's once you've taken one of her classes, it's kind of like this code you can say, you know, like I'm a number one, you know, achiever. I'm a number one relater. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but. It was really fascinating. I, I did her class too. And it's really, it explains a lot about why you do the things you do. And especially with your writing. She, Very fascinating. She really helped refine my process, which I get went off the rails with the virus, but that's different. Uh, that's not her fault. Um, yeah, I, I took her uh, um, Write Better Faster class last summer and absolutely loved it. And if there's any writers watching this, you should completely go take Becca Symes classes because they will perfect your process to to make to increase your productivity, but also to make sure you don't die while you do it. Because <laughs> nobody wants a dead writer. <laughs> no, I mean, it really cuts down on the output. <laughs> she also has um, a YouTube. It's not a podcast because I tried. I try to listen to it in the car, and you have to get it on YouTube. But she's got the Quitcast, and yeah. so. Yeah, so even if, if you can't take her class or if you, you know, are wanting to just kind of feel it out, you can go and listen to a lot of those episodes. And it's fascinating. 
Have you done the test yet, Kathy? Any of the strength not tests? Not officially. Um, I've done more of the VIA testing um, and I've read the entire uh, Strength Finder, Clifton Strength Finder uh, 2.0. So I'm pretty sure I know what that I'm probably going to like in that top five would be the uh, responsible achiever learner. Um, and that kind of like I definitely go in those realms with a little bit of compa compassion or sympathy. Yep. Yeah, it's just it's fascinating. It's like, no wonder I'm the way I am. <laughs> now, now I can say it's not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wired that way, right? It's not my fault. It's number three intellection that has to think about things two at a time. That's right. No, it, it was definitely eye-opening to go through that process. It was fascinating. Do we have any other questions? Yeah, Christina maybe, asked. I was going to say maybe do like one more, then we'll have Kathy read, and, okay. and then we can get the rest of them. Okay. Christina asked, Max's story overlaps during Flicka's question? Um. Which one? Where is it? Does Max's story overlaps during Flickers? Yes. Yes, it does. It starts on it. Uh, this book actually starts on the day that when he meets Flicka up. Okay. So all my stories are like braided. All my characters like are up here in other books and there, some of them are related and some of them are friends. And um, so, yes, one night in Monaco, the one night is the day after he gets home from uh, meeting Flicka in Geneva. When she's up in Geneva, for my, my readers who know, because I have no one else will care, sorry. Um, <laughs> I care. So if you've, if you've read other previous books, uh, Flicka, when Flicka is in Geneva in book four at midnight and Max comes to visit her, that's the day this starts. Okay. So it's after he gets home, he goes and punches Pierre and then he gets to, goes to the Monte Carlo Casino because he goes on a bender and goes off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> what better place to go on a bender though? That's exactly it. I mean, if you're gonna go on a bender and like totally go off the rails for a night, Monaco is how you do it. <laughs> exactly, sounds good to me. So Kathy, we've been to Monaco. Where are you taking yeah. us tonight? Uh, so this scene actually takes place in Philly, um, although most most of my books are um, because the hockey team itself is based in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Sounds, the name of the hockey team, will take place there. But this particular scene um, where the two leads actually meet kind of for the first time, kind of for the second time, um, where you get to a nice feel of the characters in sort of early on in the book. Okay, and is this um, the second book in a series? Yes, this okay. is, uh, so it's the Cleveland Sound series. Uh, this is book two. Uh, book one's called Deking the Puck, um, and but this is the 200-foot game. All right. So and we will be seeing it on Saturday. Okay, we will pop out and let you read, and we will be back after. The game against Philadelphia was intense, but the sound won, and that was all that mattered. As, as they were getting out of their gear, Lager tried to shock Corey by saying, did you hear Scotty's actually going to a real bar tonight? Corey was surprised and asked, what do you mean by a real bar? Sure, Scotty was a pretty boring drinker and always sticking to a yangling if he could, 
but there have been several bars together in the last year or so. Corey wasn't sure what Lager was getting at. Dude, get it right. They're going to a tap room, not a bar, piped in Petey. That intrigued Corey. He hadn't been to a real brewery in a while. He loved going to tap rooms and bars. He heard that Philly had some good ones, so he was curious to hear where Scotty was planning on going. Regardless, Alice isn't making easier on Scotty tonight. So Scotty just laughed and said, it's her favorite place in the city. It's not a big deal. Corey wasn't sure what to make of Scotty's girlfriend. They've hung out a few times since the OTA, but she was usually real, really quiet anytime Scotty asked if they could come over and skate. The only time he saw much of a personality was when Scotty brought her out to help coach. Her freak line definitely helped his stats, and he knew from Scotty that she was really into craft beer, and he asked Corey for advice on what to pick up from the store for her. Would she mind if a couple of us came along too, asked Corey. He knew from Scotty that she was practically a local, so he was curious what her favorite place was. He figured it was a sure bet. Nah, she invited a few of her friends from the city to hang out with us. Besides, that asshole already invited himself, Scotty said, pointed logger. Might as well have you and Petey join us too. So that was easy. It didn't take too long for the Uber to drop the four of them off at the tap room. Logger was still giving Scotty a hard time about going to the, the bar. Petey and Corey mostly letting the two older guys do their thing while they joked among themselves. He followed Scotty into the tap room and it, it didn't take long to find Alice since she immediately came up to them. But that didn't surprise them. It was who Alice was sitting next to before he, she came up that stopped him in his tracks. Sitting in with a group of Alice's friends was a girl he couldn't forget. What the F? She's here? Corey barely paid any attention to what Alice was saying about ordering since he was looking at the girl he had hit. Petey pulled on his arm to get his attention as they walked into the bar to order. Petey whispered, yo, what's your problem? It's like you've seen a ghost. Remember what happened the last time I was here in Philly? Yeah, why? Is she here? Petey was the only person he had told that he had hit somebody in his car with his sister the last time they were in Philly and how he couldn't get the girl out of his mind. Yeah, sitting next to Alice. Before Petey had the chance to say anything, Logger said, I bet you guys $20 that Scotty won't drink tonight. This place is too funky for him. Corey just said, you're on. Corey needs something to take his mind off the fact that he had the opportunity to properly meet and get to know the girl that had changed his life. Although, after closer inspection of the beer menu, he thought he was probably going to be giving Logger $20. The beers on the were all off the beaten track in terms of flavor combinations, which suited Corey just fine, but he did have trouble seeing Scotty order anything. As we were heading over to the seats, Corey knew that we would have to talk about the girl, the, the talk with the car accident girl. God, he needed to come find a, her name since that was an awful thing to be calling her. Instead of thinking about that, he pointed out to Logger how Scotty was drinking from Alice's flight and said, dude, pay up. Surprisingly, none of, none of the sound guys, Logger tried to get out of the bet by saying he didn't buy it, doesn't count. He said, no, you said drink, pay him. Corey wasn't too surprised when Petey chimed in. Petey always had his back, even if that meant making his landlord pay out. Logger pulled out 20 and handed it over to Corey. Fine, it's still weird. Corey just shrugged. He never said it was normal for Scotty to drink anything other than a boring lager. He just thought there was no way Scotty was going to be the only one not drinking tonight.
Alice and Scotty just laughed at the whole interaction. And if Corey didn't know better, it seemed like Scotty was going to say something to Lager. But instead, he turned towards Alice and whispered into her ear. The two of them were definitely in that super romantic phase of their relationship. It was cute to see them interact as long as you saw for what it was. And it didn't take long for Scotty to excuse himself to uh, order his own drink. Corey decided to sit next to the mystery girl. He was glad that she didn't jump away or appear to mind that he sat next to her. Margaret chose the open seat closest to him while PD moved somewhere in between Alice's friend, almost to break up the sound guys. They could be a wee bit intimidating since they're all tall and fit. He was glad that Pete was close enough to be a wingman or run interference if needed. Thankfully, he and the girl were ignoring the elephant in the room. When Scotty returned to the group and sat next to the, Alice, Alice finally introduced everyone. Corey had never been so happy to find somebody's name before. It was Jenna. Corey list, barely listened to the other introductions, and after finding Jenna's name, his intention was so solely on the brunette with an easy smile and glasses. The night was filled with laughter and Jenga. Corey was amused by all the things that were written on the blocks and how competitive Jenna got with him. Then it turned into two of them against Petey and one of Alice's friends. And it seemed like Alice, Scotty, Logger, and a couple of her friends were having a good time talking in a subgroup that wasn't involved with the Jenga. When Jenna finished her flight, he immediately downed the last beer on his and asked if she wanted another beer. She said, Asked for a large pour if that's how they'll get you. Corey just laughed at that name for the second time that night. He couldn't remember what that was initially until he went up to the bar to order the drink and realized that was one of the beers he left off his flight. So he opted to get a large pour, hoping it was good. The tap room was starting to shut down around them. Scotty looked down at his watch and realized that they were going to be cutting dangerously close to curfew and they should be heading back to the hotel soon if they wanted to stay out of trouble. The only issue was Corey wanted to walk Jenna and her friends to the SEPTA station. Petey elbowed him and shot a look, basically screaming at him. Their captain was right there and it was already on the phone ordering an Uber. There was no way Corey was going to be allowed to do the shivers thing and walk them to the station. Logger was also on the phone ordering a car. As they waited for the Ubers, they all said their goodbyes for the evening. It was the usual, everyone had a good time and we should do it again, but it felt more genuine than just saying it for politeness sakes. Corey mentioned to Jenna that he would have loved to walk them at least to the station. Don't worry about it. We're going all in the same direction. I won't be walking solo. Corey nodded. He still didn't like the idea of the, them walking alone. All the guys were on the small side, but Logger's Uber arrived. Immediately, PD jumped in and it was about ready to, he was about ready to get in the same car since he rode Together on, while on the road, when Logger leaned over and said, keep an eye on the lovebirds. So he did what he was told. Scotty Zuber came up to the curb shortly after. Corey got in first and Scotty and Alice followed. Alice was kind of cuddling up to Scotty. While the two of them were overt in their affection, they were not out of control by any means. Besides, of, out of all of them, Scotty was the, always obeyed the rules. He wasn't sure if he'd ever seen Scotty get lit up. Hell, it was Scotty who was concerned about the four of them breaking curfew anyway. They didn't need a chaperone to keep from making out too much. They got settled in the car, and it's a pretty quiet car ride. But Corey realized how much of an idiot he was, and that he was in so much of a rush to make the damn curfew, they just found a dejected 
Damn it, I didn't get her number. Scotty nudged Alice. Alice's face turned serious as she said, Jenna's one of my best friends. I know you're a great guy, but I can't just give it to you. Let me text her and see what she says. If she says, okay, I'll give it to you. All hope wasn't lost, but he hated how Alice just wouldn't give her the number. He understood where she was coming from and knew where he stood with her. He watched as Alex quickly texted her friend. It was obvious that Scotty was getting tired since he was leaning on Alice and was trying to hide his fatigue by kissing the side of her forehead. It felt like ages until Alice smiled and handed Corey her phone with the contact page open. It was probably a few seconds, but he wanted to text Jen as soon as he could, and he was probably going to snap. He he snap was quick to snap a photo and started to save the information. He said, "I owe you." Scotty immediately said, "More like you, a few, if you count the fact that she's the reason you're on the first power play unit, and suddenly the star everyone's talking about." It was clear that Scotty was had embarrassed Alice with the attention she started blushing. Corey knew his captain was probably right. While the power play unit was her idea, it took both Logger and Scotty advocating the use of the formation to Coach Berman before it happened in the real game. While he would always be open to his rank to the two of them, he was starting to wonder if that would be enough if things worked out with Jenna. The car was silent for the last 10 minutes of the ride as Corey was texting on his phone. He knew he had a wide grin on his face, but he didn't care. He had a good time and was talking to the girl that haunted his dreams. All right. And that's it. And you took us to the hockey world. <laughs> yeah. So you play hockey, right? Yeah. Still? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. I knew that you had played hockey, but I wasn't sure if you were still playing hockey. Are they even, are you playing now? Or is everything uh, shut down? I have not actually played since February when I had to get melanoma cut out of my back. Okay. So, oh, yeah, that, so that took me out before the shutdown and literally the week of um, that the shutdown happened was right when I got the medical clearance that I could probably start playing again. Um, my local rink has not opened back up yet. So we're just um, waiting to see what happens. Probably won't be until the fall till I get back into the regular women's league. Gotcha. Karen, you're a big hockey fan, aren't you? Yeah, St. Louis Blues, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've seen you post that picture of you with several no. of the <laughs> super tall, big buff hockey players a couple Me times. Me my guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. So that book is the second in the series, and do you have more planned? Yes, um, I'm currently working on the third book in the series, and I also have a Halloween novella that's written that's actually kind of the next generation of everybody. Okay. So. All right, do we have any more questions, Karen? I saw. Yes. There are a few, I think, that came early that we haven't gotten to yet. Yes. Are you both traditionally published or indie or hybrid? How do you guys do that? Can I'm, you I'm independent and on uh, KU. Okay. I'm independent and wide. 
So I'm curious because I'm hybrid. So I have some that are published through a traditional publisher that are wide. And then I also have some books that are in Kindle Unlimited that I indie published. And I'm just curious, how did you decide for both of you? What was your, say, just curious. Uh, for me, I, when I was looking up how to get published, do some of the self-publishing, KU just seemed like the way to go, at least initially, where I'm not opposed to going wide one day, but just to get my toes wet and kind of get the hang of things, KU was the way for me to do it. I started out a while ago. I started out in, I think, 2015, if I remember right, which in, in indie years is like forever. <laughs> it feels like decades ago. 2015 feels like, yeah, 20 years ago now. <laughs> So, I mean, I remember being all excited when I figured out how to get on the iBooks. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so when KU came along, I it, I tried it a little bit. And I just, so many of my readers read on like Google Play and Kobo and Apple Books and I and Barnes and Noble. And so I at this point, I don't want to kick them out. I, I don't want them to have right. to wait. I don't, it's because I established wide first. I, I just, I don't want to leave those readers or make them wait for books or do a hybrid where like, you know, you drop it for two days and then pull it back to KU. And it's, it, it's just entirely like, this is what I started with. And so this is where I'm keeping my readers. My German books are in KU. Oh, interesting. So do they have KU in Germany? They do. They have it in Germany. I think they're coming out with it in France, but my French books are wide. Okay. I, I have enough readers on Kobo, especially in Canada. Well, and now Kobo has a subscription service, but it's nice because that's not exclusive. So authors can still publish other places with KU you have to commit your books to be just on Amazon. So yeah, it really limits. Decision for one or the yep. other. Yeah. Yep. I know once you, I thought like writing the book was hard, but it's actually all the stuff as an indie author, all the stuff that happens on the back end that a lot of readers don't even get to see that is really difficult. <laughs> I completely agree. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the marketing and the structuring your business is just tough. Well, and even just uploading, you know, because you're wide and I've dabbled now, I think my next series will be wide. But, you know, once you master just getting a book uploaded onto the Amazon system can be tricky. And then, you know, depending on if you go through a distributor or if you upload to each individual platform, and then there's time you make a change then, say you have a, yeah, if you have a typo, you know, and, and you're published wide and you've gone individually through all the different retailers, you know, you're not just changing one file, you have to go and change like eight different files and up. it's, it gets to be very complicated and yeah, or if you're changing back matter and you have a big backlist and say you've got say 50 books and you have to go change 50 different books on eight different platforms and so it can quickly get very, very, very um, complicated. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's super I think interesting. I, got, I, always, I think I I've got like to hear what people are thinking. So yeah, so yeah, so you've got, and then between audio and print and ebook and languages and stuff, it's just it gets a little intense. It does. It it's we become publishing companies. 
things. Right, right. And, and it's it's interesting. I, I don't get me wrong. I, I like the challenge of it. I love the independence of it. Um, I, I was traditionally published under my in real life name um, in literary. It wasn't in romance. And it's, I, I really prefer indie publishing um, to the point where I, once I got going with indie publishing, I actually told my agent to like stop shopping the few books that he had around because I, I have no desire to ever go back to trad unless something were to change massively in the industry. Right. Well, and it's so hard right now because so many bookstores aren't open that it makes it really difficult to even get distribution. So, so Karen is a reader since you're representing all readers tonight, <laughs> since you're the only one that has a voice because you're on the show, what, where do you do most of your reading? Do I you do most of your KU. Okay. Financially, I do KU. Right. I can do $10 for the whole month and borrow as many as I can kind of thing. I can discover new authors there, you know, easily. And I do like Kobo. I do Kobo sometimes, iBook sometimes. But mainly because of financial financial reasons, I do KU a lot. Right. Yeah. yeah I think for for readers that read so much. Yeah, I read a lot. <laughs> yep. Like Christina, I think was just saying on here that she reads. Um, I forget exactly. She reads too fast. So yeah. yeah, I think it can get pretty expensive as a reader. So I know. Well, that, if, I don't do arcs right now. I do, I do like a lot of arc review teams currently yeah. kind of thing. That kind of helps me financially also. I can kind of like, you know, kind of review books for different authors and stuff. So that helps. Yep. Because my question was, what year did you publish your first book? Kathy? Um, I published mine actually this past December. So less uh, than a year. And I think it was 2015 for me. I think. Might have been 14. <laughs> And mine was 2018, although that feels right. like a decade ago as well. <laughs> I mean, you think, gosh, it's only been two years, but yeah, it feels like forever. Well, I met you early on then. I'm you did. I know really? Karen and I had the pleasure. I'm in Minnesota and Karen is <laughs> in Missouri, but she came up for a, a family vacation and we, we had the pleasure of meeting in a very suspect <laughs> coffee shop off of the internet and will forever and always be reminded <laughs> of that. So so next time we meet in person, it will be somewhere much more glamorous. Maybe um maybe if I, you know, have some massive, huge big seller, I'll, I'll take you to Monaco with me. Okay, Karen, how's that? <laughs> so Blair, do you choose your own narrators or who helps you choose the narrators for your books? Um, I, I work through Joe Arden's company, and he he says that pretty much any narrator that I want, he can get for me because he's really well-connected. He's a really yeah. good guy. Um, so I really don't listen to audio that much. <laughs> I'm sorry to admit that, but um, <laughs> I, I don't. I can read so much faster than even, like, when you turn up the speed on the audiobooks, yeah, I think it's either either or. People either love yeah. audiobooks, or they're not quite sure about them, kind of things. So that's fine, you know. It's everybody has their own like distinct thing they enjoy. So that's nice. And it it's fun to listen to them. I mean, I listen to them in the car a lot. Um, but just like sitting down, I don't listen. To, and before I started going into getting some of my books into audio, I 
rarely ever listen to audiobooks. Um, so I've pretty much gone on, uh, I, I have some really great readers in my reader room here on Facebook, uh, which is Blair's Babes VIP room for readers. And I, I went to them and said, who do you like? And you know, what narrators do you, do you like to listen to? And they gave me a list and I went to Joe and said, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, you have expensive taste. And <laughs> yeah, Shane, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's doing um, Max. So I've got four more. Uh, he did a couple chapters in this one, and then I've got a, like four more books with him. Yeah, Shane's pretty special. I, I, I've i heard his sample, and yeah, he's really good. <laughs> it's so funny. I know, um, Karen, you've been in, in several, well, I mean, I got, tapped into audiobooks because of Karen's just <laughs> massive love for audiobooks. Um, but I was surprised at, you know, how many of these narrators have their own massive followings. When I first started kind of looking into audiobooks and getting mm -hmm. turned on to those, like once you kind of find somebody you like, it's almost like you find authors you like and you find narrators you like. And mm -hmm. I was really surprised. But boy, I tell you, it, it makes a big difference when the right narrator is reading the book. It makes all yeah. the difference in the world. So very, very loyal, very loyal fans, very close community. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Which is fantastic. <laughs> Do you have any plans to put your books in audio, Kathy? One day. I yep. just can't afford it at this moment, but it's yep. something that I would like to do down the line. Yeah, as an indie, I don't know if, if our viewers know, but as an indie, it can be quite expensive if you're producing your own audiobook. I mean, up to, you know, several thousand dollars just to get one title produced. So definitely an investment. But then it also opens you up to a lot more listeners. So or a yeah, lot more readers. And I, and I know from my own experience, there are times, especially if I'm lifeguarding, I can stick mm -hmm. in an audiobook and listen to that, keep me focus while I'm looking at the pool yep. while at the same time having something that keeps my brain going because I do have a little bit of ADHD. So I have to be almost multitasking for me to stay focused. Yep. <laughs> um, so audiobooks and music are the two ways that I can actually um, do my job when I'm lifeguarding. So it's something that I definitely want to, it's just can't just do it right now. <laughs> Well, and I used to listen to audiobooks all the time when I would commute. And now, you know, I mean, everybody's at home. So I don't find myself putting any, you know, I, I could, yeah. I suppose I'm getting things done. But then, you know, I hate it when you listen to an audiobook for, you know, an hour or two, and then a few days go by, and I try to pick it back up again. And then I almost have to start over because I've forgotten, you know, what's happened. Yeah. So, but I love audio as well. I'm addicted to podcasts right now. <laughs> well, I, I clean houses too. Yeah, I, I clean houses for a living. Right. So it helps me at my job. I put an audio book on, clean a house. It flies mm -hmm. by so quickly. It's like so yep. nice. I'm getting paid to clean a house, but I enjoy the audio book. So yeah, it's nice. Yep. Yeah. I, I didn't do it for the longest time during the COVID. I wasn't working for like four months. Yeah. I didn't do hardly any audio books like for a couple of months. So it's kind of a weird kind of transition, you know? I get so accustomed to having an audiobook every day, and then I'd only do it in the car at work. So I got a long break for a while there. It's kind of weird, yeah. You missed, probably missed some of those voices whispering yeah. in your ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, let's see, I know we're kind of getting close on time. Were there any other questions? Um, one question was, have you ever had an ending that changed during the writing of the story? Like he had all planned out, but the, at the very end, the book changed direction for you, Kathy? Uh, so for my novels, no. But for my Halloween novella that's coming out, uh, yes, that totally took a left turn that I wasn't anticipating, but totally worked out in a way that I really like it. I think it made a much better ending, but um, definitely was not planned. How about you, Blair? Are you a plotter or a pantser? Do you like to be surprised? I'm a total plotter. And I mean, I, I have like <clears throat> these beat sheets that I put together in Excel because number one, analytical. And so, I, I mean, I have like this huge way that I plot out all my books and uh, the romance, of course, is always a happily ever after, right? Um, so that, that's never in question. But I have a bunch of subplots and there have been some that I, I actually showed in my, my reader group once that I had a, a, a certain square in my, my beat sheets that I was going through. It said, and then a miracle occurs. <laughs> And because I had no idea how to fill it, and I wasn't sure how how it was going to work in the ending, how this particular subplot was, and so, and it surprised me when I got there, all the threads were there, and I knew what to do to make it end right. And I've got to tell my readers, I am so this is the prequel to the Max Sense series, One Night in Monaco, and then the first book is named Rogue, and that is entirely finished, and it's with the narrators who are working on the audiobook right now. The second book is called Order, which I hadn't told them yet. And that one is, I'm 90% done writing it. And then the third and fourth books are Prince and Royal. And I'm not sure how the series is going to end yet. I mean, it's <laughs> probably going to boink. And then, like, you know, they'll be together and it'll be all happy forever and ever. But I'm, there, there's subplots, which I'm sure they know, um, which... I don't know how they're going to end. And so I'm watching what the characters are doing and I'm watching how it's working out and there's two major possible ways it could end. And I'm not sure which way it's going to go yet. I'm really hoping that by the end of the third book, I know, but I may not for a while yet. And it, it's kind of scary for somebody who's as plotty as I am that I don't know how it's going to end yet. Yeah, I was going to ask, does that terrify you or is it kind of exciting? It, it's exciting, but there, there is a, deep down in my soul is absolutely terrified. This, like, yeah. I don't know what these characters are going to do yet. And they, I, I, I don't want to get too method acty. I was an actor as a kid, um, but I don't want to get too method acty on like, you know, the characters come alive and they talk to me and stuff because that's a little schizophrenic, but it's, <laughs> I think we all relate. Yeah, but they do. And they do. Yep. Sometimes the characters, the, the way the story works, obviously with the next thing that should happen, and as far as like, you know, if the character A does B, then obviously the next thing is going to happen is C and cause and effect and result. And sometimes you're not sure what that is until you get there. And so the question is, does Max, take the job or not i'll put it that way or does he walk <laughs> so 
Sounds like your readers are getting um, quite the tease today. They are, and this is more than I've talked about it anywhere. So <laughs> I, I hope that y'all, and I see several of you there. I, I see your names. I, I thank you very much for coming and supporting me tonight. I really do appreciate it. Um, but y'all, you go talk about it in the group. And see <laughs> you get the inside scoop. Yep. So how about you, Kathy? We'll kind of wrap up there. Are you surprised by your characters often or or do you control them and, and keep very tight reins on them? Most of the time I have a good read on them from the get-go. Um, that I know what the story is gonna be and what it's what's going on. And half the time, especially with the first two novels, there's a lot of my own processing of stuff going it on and through those books. Um, so they do become deeply personal for some of that. Um, and even the third novel is gonna be uh, pretty personal in some ways too. And so I know what the story is gonna be. Now it's my novellas that tend to develop out the holiday novellas um, in such a different left field, not even left field, but just the I see the stories and it's just like, oh, this is gonna be really sweet. And then you see something else that changes or you see a different aspect of their personality. Just like, oh, I have to include that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, and that's where in some ways it's been hard for me to going back to writing my third novel after writing the Halloween novella because that, I was able to write that in like two weeks. And that was because the characters were speaking to me so well. And the characters in the third book is much quieter and taking a longer time to listen to their story so I can put it out on the page. Yeah, I think there's always, I mean, I don't know if Blair, you'd agree, but it it seems like there's always a piece of you in every book that you write and every character. I mean, it might be teeny tiny, but there's always, I feel like you're always putting a, a little piece of yourself out there. Marge Piercy, uh, who's an author who I've read many, many of her books, who I absolutely love her books. Um, wrote a book about writing that was, she's called it the blood sacrifice. You know, in every character, every major character, there's a blood sacrifice where you open a vein and pour your blood in. Yep. That probably works better for suspense. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Literally, you need some of that blood. <laughs> I was thinking we put like a little bit of heart into, I hadn't really thought of it as, a, you know, like giving them actual blood, but yeah. I guess <laughs> Well, thank you very much for being here tonight. I appreciate it. It, it was kind of um, a different vibe without Dawn being here. Um, but Karen, you did a fabulous job. We so thanks, appreciate Alan. you stepping in to thank take you. over. And thanks, Kathy Alan. and Blair, thanks for joining us. You both have giveaways up on the page that we'll keep open until Sunday. And so if anybody watching or watching in the next couple of days wants to go and enter into that, you can find all the details on our giveaway post on the Romance Happy Hour page. And we are actually having a special episode next week. So watch for details on that, a bonus episode of Romance Happy Hour. And then um, our, our next show, I'm super excited. We have um, Lucy Score and Catherine Nolan that are coming up. <laughs> so that'll be on August 27th. So, so yeah, so we've got you covered for the next two Thursdays. So make sure thank you for having me. And in. thank you so much for hosting these. These are so much fun. I've been watching you and they are so much oh, fun. Thanks. 
<laughs> we have a blast and you know we're there wherever you need us you can watch us on facebook we put them up on youtube we've got them on the website and we actually have episodes on a podcast so if you're <laughs> on the go um you can definitely take us with you so all right well thank you so much everybody that that joined in and we will see you next time all right good night everybody good night everybody for joining us for this week's episode of Romance Happy Hour. To find out who's coming on next or catch up on the video episodes, visit our website at romancehappyhour.com. Don't forget, you can always join us live on the second and fourth Thursday of each month on the Romance Happy Hour Facebook page. To connect with Dawn or me, check the show notes for our contact info. We'll see you next time. Cheers! Cheers.